0: Welcome to Across the Dietary Universe, a podcast where we bring experts along our voyage to discover the secrets of food and how it relates to each of our unique dietary profiles. From the origins of diets to current eating trends to the frontier of food innovation and the future of how we eat, we'll discover that when it comes to food, things are not necessarily as they seem. Honeycomb is a mobile app that works with your iPhone or Android device to help you find suitable food to eat at restaurants near you based on your specific dietary requirements. If you're plant-based and celiac, low FODMAP with a tree nut allergy, keto and dairy-free, we support countless dietary combinations and profiles. Based on your inputs, Honeycomb curates the best restaurants for you and the best options to order at those restaurants. If you have more severe allergies... Don't worry. Honeycomb only recommends you places that have a clear protocol to deal with cross-contamination. Pre-order Honeycomb today at get.honeycomb.ai. Welcome, Elizabeth, to the Across the Dietary Universe podcast. I'm so excited to have you on, and we are just chatting. Like I said, I'm a little bit starstruck because you're such a powerhouse in the plant-based community, uh, and I feel like sort of like I'm interviewing the interviewer in some ways because you're alongside so many prominent characters who, who are helping this movement so much, uh, so it's an honor to be able to, uh, to, to have you on our podcast today.
1: Gosh, so kind of you. I'm thrilled to be here and really thank you for all you do. You are moving the needle, so I'm grateful.
0: I, I always like to say that we're, we're all on the same team and we did have different positions, Um, But I'd like our our audience to sort of get to know you a little bit more. So I just have a quick intro here for you. Uh, So Elizabeth Alfano is a powerhouse in the plant-based food industry. After working with multiple global health food brands, Elizabeth founded Plant-Powered Consulting, which helps brands grow in the plant-based space. On her show, The Plant-Based Business Hour, Elizabeth hosts VCs, CEOs, and innovators from startups around the globe who are shaping the plant-based market. Elizabeth is also the co-founder of the Global Vegan Impact and Innovation Index. Really, this intro doesn't uh, do you justice, but uh, that's a little bit, a little glimpse into Elizabeth Alfano.
1: Oh gosh! Well,
0: <laughs> cool. So great, uh, I think. <laughs> um, let's start things off a little bit light. I'm in a lot of groups on Facebook for vegan in this city, plant based in that city. I have to, as part of my job, I need to have like my ears everywhere to see what's happening. Uh, From the ground up and there sometimes is a case of Some people are in it for different reasons Some people are in it for the climate others are in it for the animals others are in it for the health benefits Um, Can you explain how you got into it and and maybe how that's evolved if it has evolved?
1: Yeah, sure so I can remember Wanting to go vegan without ever being able to express it in such terms, from my earliest memories of childhood, I'll say five, five, six, seven, less than seven, five. We would sit at the dining room table, and I was told, you know, you you must eat your meat, and I wasn't trying to be a spoiled brat. I just couldn't do it. Now, of course, I couldn't tell you factory farms or you know, I couldn't tell you anything. I just Viscerally, I couldn't chew it. I found it disgusting. It, it, I never even got to. Does this taste good? I couldn't chew muscle, and so I would tell my folks like, I, like, oh, I can't do this, you know, in the in the kid way. I'd be like, I ah, spit it out, and they were like, Oh my gosh, you know, this is awful. They and I love them, and they love me back. They were just worried that I wasn't getting enough protein, so they wanted me to eat that meat come hell or high water. So they punished me pretty severely. It was, you know decently strict upbringing as a kid. And so I would have to stay at the dinner table like for three or four hours. Everybody would go, they'd hang out together in the living room, they'd watch TV together, and I wouldn't be allowed to join until I finished every piece of meat on my plate. Well, I wasn't kidding around. I really couldn't do it. So I started hiding it everywhere, like in my pants pockets and oh underneath God. the table leg. And then I would dig to the bottom of the uh, garbage can and I'd hide it at the bottom of the garbage can. Then I put all the garbage back and well, of course, you know, I'm only six or seven. And so they found me lying and then they really punished me. So I'd go to my room. I wouldn't be allowed out, all this kind of stuff. So fast forward, I'm an adult well into my forties. Okay. I now have seen every factory farm video. I know what's going on. I also know that everyone else around me knows what's going on, but I don't feel that I have a voice. I feel like this is what people do. What it means to be an adult is you do that, which you know is wrong. And you do it anyway, because we're all sitting here eating meat, just going along our business. And so I never it never sat well with me, but I just didn't know what to do about it or how to not do it or why the world was working this way. Again, well into my 40s. I'm a big adult here. Uh, but I couldn't find that voice. And I would always kind of keep it to myself. Like I'd order the, the vegetarian option on the menu, and I just would never really talk about it. Then my nephew who's an athlete, goes to the University of Oregon, which, you know, in Canada, I don't know if you know anything about it, but they've got a big football team. He comes back from uh, college, first semester back at Thanksgiving, comes back for the first time home, and he kind of announces to everyone, oh, yeah, coach says, if I'm going to play for the team, no meat, no dairy. And I was like, what the? F, you got a professional to give you permission. I've been waiting for permission my entire life. I was vegan that sentence. I was like, yeah, I knew it. I knew it all along. Wow. So then I was sort of mad because I was like, <laughs> my voice has been taken from me now for like, again, I love my parents. they love me back. I don't blame my parents. But I just sort of felt like even once I left the household as an adult going to college, like it's just reinforced, like you eat meat, you eat meat, you eat meat. And I knew I didn't want to do it. And so then uh, really it, I, it, it turned for me and I was like, well, all right, then I have my voice now, don't I? So I think I'll use it. So I've wow. been pretty active ever since.
0: What a, what a story. Um, there's a couple things I want to address there. But in, in those 40 years, were you just eating it begrudgingly if, or you just avoided it altogether?
1: I avoided it, but sometimes I couldn't avoid it. Well, first of all, I didn't know about um, dairy. Right. And, you know, for anyone who's considering that, a lot of people don't want dairy for health, of course, because 65% of all Americans are lactose intolerant, much higher with Asian Americans, which is almost 100% and African Americans in the high 80s. Um, And this can range, you know, you talk about this a lot, I'm sure on this show, but being lactose intolerant can be anything from just being uncomfortable and having gas and being bloating to having acne or um, uh, asthma, trouble breathing, it can be a a severe or just uncomfortable depending on where you are. So a lot of people um, don't want dairy for that. But when I learned that dairy is basically built on breaking the bond between mother and baby. I just couldn't do that either. So, but of course, prior to that, I didn't know that. So I would just avoid it when I could. And sometimes you will be at a party with pepperoni pizza. And I was like, this is Mm. the gig, I guess. Can you elaborate a bit on
0: breaking the bond?
1: Well, so I used to think, crazy. I used to think that like cows just had milk, but of course they only have milk because they're pregnant, just like they're mammals, like just like women, you know, so you only have milk when you're pregnant. So the industry term, this is not my word. The industry term has a rape rack and they set up the cows on the rape rack. So they're inseminated to be pregnant Give babies, and then as soon as they have the baby, they immediately take the baby away so that they can profit off the reproductive system and just milk the cow for the milk, you know, like milk it for all it's worth. They're gonna, you know, take the milk that is meant for the baby. And then that baby isn't allowed to be with its mother and it's taken away to a different part of the farm and, you know, hormones, et cetera, really pushing that cow to grow so that you can milk of that cow get get everything get every last thing you can from that cow so dairy works because it breaks the bond between mother and baby so there's very hard to have like a positive thing to say about that but i will say here's a positive thing i try to be positive I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. Yeah, Everybody pretty much disagrees with breaking the bond between mother and baby once they know about it, yeah. you know? So that's, it's like the one thing in the United States that, um, and I get this from the, um, humane society of the United States, Jess Balk, who was on my show, plant-based business hour. And it's like the one thing that, um, Democrats and Republicans can both agree on is they're both against animal cruelty. And most people don't know that dairy is inherently cruel, but it is inherently cruel because if you know anything about cows, which I, I'm not an expert by any means, but I, just been learning more and more you know they have complex familial structures those mothers are in constant grief for not Mm. being able to be with their baby it's just awful i mean in a way it's almost like god the meat cows almost have it better because they're killed they don't have to just perpetually be pregnant you know that's it you're you're pregnant your whole life you're pregnant your baby's taken you're pregnant your baby's taken it's a constant life of hormonal anguish i i don't know yeah. i don't want to start this yeah. this interview on, on like a negative <laughs> well, you know point what? but um i think it's yeah.
0: important for people to know because it's so easy to label you know v- vegans it's gone through uh the vegan movement has gone through a huge evolution like i remember uh, way back when when i was growing up that if you were a vegan it's like oh like it's like a you're a meme. It's like you're a vegan and you need to tell everyone about it and you can't shut up and you're protesting and you're this and you're that. But, but people are starting to come out of, I think, w- what I can call, like it, it, this all is contained, all the problems that you just described are, are living in this ethical blind spot that we're willfully just not looking at. Right. We know it's there. We just don't want to address it. And people are happy to just continue on and they know it probably exists. And nobody, like you said, really is super happy about torturing animals. Right. No one's no one's. But but they just won't address it. They pretend like it doesn't exist. And so I think now as it sort of comes to the forefront people are starting to have mixed feelings about it people who are uh, who are not vegan are starting to say well this isn't quite right so you know what maybe they're going to dabble a little bit in the space and take baby steps into discovering what is this movement all about it isn't about you know telling all your friends and being annoying and blah 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 it's really about something bigger it's about helping humanity maintain its ethical foundation right and that I, has I love that you say that. Yeah.
1: I love that you say that because that's exactly what I was experiencing. I was, you know, well into my 40s as I said and I was looking around and I was like, "But hey everybody, we all know. Like why aren't we why are we pretending we don't know? We all know what's out there." When I went vegan, I was like, "Okay, this is going to be great. I finally get to do what I want to do and I'm probably going to lose a little weight, which I did. But I hadn't realized that I would get this extra boost of energy. Some of it came from better diet, but a lot of it came from I hadn't realized how carrying around this inconsistency by not living my life by the values that were meaningful to me, Mm. what a heavy burden that is. So in one way, you think like, oh, well, you know, I'll just, I'll ignore it. I'll eat my meat and dairy because, you know, I don't want to think about it. Oh, who wants to think about factory farms? No one does, me included. But that comes at a cost because pushing that down to pretend not to see it builds in you. And it's like you're carrying around heavy furniture. And yeah. when I didn't have to do that anymore, when I could be like, I'm not contributing to that, amen, <laughs> I really got like lifted. I don't yeah. have to carry that around anymore. So, you know, wow. you you talk about, you know, we're doing something for the ethical fabric of our society, um, but we're also doing it. For us. I mean, I'm doing it for animals too, for sure. But like, I got this huge lift, you know, better health, you know, who wants colorectal cancer? Nobody. (laughs) Nobody wants colorectal cancer. (laughs) You know, and
0: definitely not.
1: Yeah. You know, so you get um, these huge benefits and you're also helping animals, helping the environment, helping the ethical fabric of society. So it's like win, win, win.
0: Right. I, I think what has s- started to happen, which is which is quite interesting, and, and we'll get into the business side. Um, but but people a- are able to engage with the plant based community with plant based products without having to fully transition to plant based without yes. having to renounce everything else that they do. And that is starting to work in huge favor for the plant based community and the vegan community. Because it's like, try before you buy. Right. You can go and, you know, maybe you're going to go to A&W and c- in Canada, we have a, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with A&W. It's a big chain in Canada. And, you know, they launched the Beyond Burger a few years ago. Um, yeah. But it's weird because you go get the Beyond Burger and they're, they're, they have mayonnaise on it and there's cheese on it. Mm-hmm. And, but there's a Beyond me So it's like, one step in, okay, the meat is gone, the cheese is still there, the, the mayonnaise is still there, but the meat is gone, now you can try to say, wait a second, this is like, you know, not really a huge deviation from, you know, the beef, and then the next mm-hmm. thing, maybe, uh, you know, at a different restaurant, you're, you're trying out the plant-based cheese on a pizza. This didn't exist before, it was always like, you know, I remember the, the older vegan restaurants were like these raw vegan restaurants. And you had to go there and it's like, well, I'm going to stick with my Italian restaurant. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's so fun that, I mean, ultimately, the market's going to reward optionality because mm-hmm. consumers like options. Yeah. So I'm seeing less and less, although it's still there, but I'm seeing less and less this resistance from, let's say, the mainstream public about like, Oh, what does it mean? If I try a plant-based burger, have I, you know, am I now a vegan? I don't see that sort of deliberation going on in anyone's head. I see more like I'll try it. Sure. Yeah. You no, know, no big deal. I'll like taste it here. I'll try it there. I'll, i get to dabble in more stuff. I have more options. Consumers love that.
0: Yeah. It, it's, it's really uh it's really a great phenomenon. I'm so excited to see it, you know, grow, uh, you know, significantly significantly over the last like five years. Um, what I was going to say, when you were talking about your story, it's very cool because you, you know I, I think a lot of children are probably having that experience where they're looking at the plate and they're like, something's wrong here. I would love to see a Disney movie that portrays that experience and maybe shows that journey. I think we're probably due for something like that. Eh?
1: I, you are singing my song. <laughs> I can't get behind this enough. I'm actually working with a group on something like this. I think a lot of people feel the same. Maybe it takes a step of like a pre-Disney and we launch a series on YouTube and people are working on this. So I think yeah. there's a lot of push from Gen Z that these ethical stories need to be told.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's super interesting. And from my perspective, I deal with so many restaurants with so many different people. Even our, our application is for every you know, every type of diet and multiple diets. If you're vegan and you have a tree nut allergy, if you're vegan and you want to be on a keto diet, if you're keto and you want to find this thing or that thing, we call ourselves diet agnostic. It is, like you said, all about optionality and finding exactly what you're looking for in the marketplace. However... As I look into the future, you know, I'm a technologist. I'm r- a huge fan of technology. And you know, looking at the companies like, uh, like Beyond and, and Impossible and you know, uh, so many companies, of course, many of them which you, you have interviewed already, um, th- it does look, you know, the, the horizon that we're looking at s- seems that over time there will be uh, less of a need for animals in you know, the greater uh, food economy. Uh, it might take some time. And that's the misstep that i think was happening before that a lot of people mm. were coming to this revelation and like we need to go there immediately tomorrow because this mm-hmm. is but that's not how things work and i think this process of slowly getting there adding different elements into the market and realizing you know looking at the the sausage section in a in a in a in a, in a deli in a supermarket and seeing a bunch of plant-based options and saying you know why not let me try that out and then you try it and it's like well this is pretty darn good I think that's the way to go about it, but I do believe eventually, later down the line, we're going to see more and more uh, to the point where everything is—we don't need to rely on animals at all anymore, and they can just roam free. Yeah. Uh, but the journey to get there is a little bit tricky. I would say. Would you agree with that? Yeah.
1: So I've got lots of comments on that. Um, basically, you're talking about shifting industry from the consumer perspective. So there's this growing consumer base. They want products that are better for their health, doesn't have ethical baggage, and doesn't have negative impact on the environment. So people, the planet, and animals. And there are entrepreneurs seeing that demand and they're responding to it. That's coming from the consumer base. They're getting louder. There's more of them. They're growing with younger generations. It's happening. On the other side, And this is where the magic really comes to be and how you take growth and you make growth exponential is you have industry and industry sees animal agriculture is bad business. It's inefficient. So we have trees that take carbon out of the air. So we need that as we're in a carbon, as we're in a climate crisis, but okay. We chop down those trees and we grow grains and seeds and things, do we feed that food that has fiber and protein to people? No, we give it to animals. Those animals need time, land, water. Tick-tock, tick-tock, eight months in, still no food. Got to cut down more trees, grow more grains. Are we feeding those grains to people? Nope, we're still giving them to animals. You're looking at like a year and a half, depending on chickens, obviously less, but you know I'm talking about cows right now, but pigs, chickens, you know, you're looking at like two months to a year and a half. And that's pumped with hormones so much that the chickens can't even walk. Okay. I don't want to go down the animal ethical thing again. It maybe appeals to people. It maybe doesn't, but just think about yourself. You're taking in all those hormones. You're taking in all those antibiotics because of course those animals live on top of each other, but to snout so that we can make this bad economic equation work. We're doing it for the business. Does not work. By the way, we can talk about pandemics in a bit, but If you're living butt to snout in filth, really tricky to outrun a pandemic when factory farmed animals are slaughtered 80 billion a year for 7.7 billion people on the planet. So you got to think about those numbers. We're doing the math now. So 90% of the living, breathing entities on the planet Mm -hmm. don't social distance and live in their own filth. Yeah, Uh, it's gonna be hard to outrun a pandemic. Okay, so that's another that's another thing. But anyway, so industry sees this, right? There's a lot of negativity that's basically bad for the bottom line. You've got chemical runoff, you've got animals that take forever, you've got a calorie intake for a chicken, it's like seven to nine calories of grain to get one calorie of protein. Well, what business person wants to invest, you know, 70 cents to get a dime back? Bad business. Uh, For cows, it's like 25 to 35 calorie intake to get one calorie of protein back. Well, who's going to invest $3 to get 10 cents back? So this business is propped up by subsidies. If you like the markets, you believe in capitalism, usually you don't want to spend tax dollars on a business equation that doesn't work. So all this is like, as of today, bad business. But it gets worse when the population growth on the planet goes from 7.7 billion, which we talked about we are today, to 10 billion, which is what the UN says we're gonna be by 2050. So we're going up about 25 to 30%, but you're not getting more land and you're not getting more water. So increasing more animals, you can't do it. And industry sees that. They're not gonna be able to make money off animals as the population grows. So how do you capitalize off a growing population? you produce food more efficiently. So animals are going to be out of the equation because you can't produce enough food. We already have food insecurity issues, but those things only get worse. And then if you're not selling to people, you're losing money. So industry is a long way of saying, we've got consumers clamoring for it. Industry wants to shift as well. So you don't have to fight against them as much as you thought. And when those two things come together, industry and consumer, you really have exponential growth because those industry folks start lending their distribution channels. So plant-based options are available more readily and easily to people. Uh, They start putting their advertising dollars behind it. So soon it's super manly to eat plants. You know, you're going to start seeing that come. So, you know, those budgets and distribution shifts mean a lot.
0: That's long sorry. You know, it's a great answer. I I think, you know, to, you know, to add to that, when there is an economic incentive, um, and there's also a community incentive an environmental incentive, the economic incentive will like push it past the threshold. and, and, And that's the tipping point. Because you might have executives at a lot of these companies. I don't think... Some people, you know, they think there's a big, you know, global cabal of people that are getting together and trying to ruin the world. I don't really think so. I think a lot of times just the money talks. So they might... Those executives might have families. I'm sure there some of them are eating plant-based foods. I'm sure some of them are engaging and, and they want to help the climate. But, you know, they have shareholders. They have people they need... They want to keep their jobs too. They want to maintain their lifestyle, maintain the money that's currently coming in. And until they see you know, a new option Well, wait a second, we can pivot to this, and economically it makes sense, that's when they can begin to take a stand, and they can say, we should start moving in this direction, but the, you know, I sometimes call them the kumbaya reasons, like the reasons that, you know, are, of course, they're intuitive, we want to help one another, money always trumps that in capitalism, right, unfortunately, Um, but now what you're saying is that that's not necessarily the case anymore, and we can start to see the money might be even better in many circumstances.
1: Oh yeah, I'm all about the money. I can't wait to see the money really go towards this. They won't go f- for it for the combined reasons, but they're gonna go for it because it's better business. And every CEO has a teenage daughter somewhere, that's you know. Right. So they're hearing in their own families, right? Like, yeah. hey, yeah. you know, the legacy you leave us sucks.
0: Yeah, that's you know, it. It, it. So it's you know, point.
1: you gotta do better.
0: How did you? How did you turn from you know, being a, a personal advocate and having your own personal revelation to saying, you know what, I wanna help as many businesses as possible make that transition too and help them make an impact on the world? How did you go from just as a, as a personal thing to I wanna help out and, and be who you are now, which is you know, a huge, you know, huge help to the industry?
1: Mm-hmm. Kind of you to say. Well, once I knew I wanted to shift, I wanted to put every skill set I had behind what I knew to be true. So, and I always say like when you align your passions with your skill set, you know, bingo for you, you're like 125% of yourself. You're larger than life because you're, you're, you know, really that sweet spot of aligning your passion and your skill set. So
0: You were in business before quite a bit, I imagine. Prior. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I started after business school. I started with the Kellogg company. I, my brands were special K and frosted mini wheats. And then I moved on as I knew like big corporate wasn't going to be where I could really like hustle and jive. Like I wanted to move. So I thought I'll start my own business. So I started that. I had a nice exit after 10 years, I started doing investing. Um, and then you know, when you're an investor compared to an entrepreneur, you have so much time on your hands because, you know, an entrepreneur, you work seven days a week. So I was like, wow, I could actually take up a hobby here. So I started just interviewing people, still not vegan at this point, but I started just dabbling in journalism kind of because it was fun for me because I I get to learn things from the people that I interview. And then I went vegan and I was like, oh, I think I'll put every skill set I have behind it. So I started the plant-based business hour, which, is what people know me for, but it's like where I put 2% of my time. I mean, the majority of my time is spent on plant-powered consulting, helping brands, because that's my business history. So if I've got that skill set, then I want to put it towards what makes sense. And I want to see this succeed, sure, for the kumbaya reasons, but I really want to see this succeed for the business reasons. Because I know that will move the needle in a long-lasting way. Right. And we're looking for permanent shift of the global food supply system. It's a big lift. So I think business can do it the best.
0: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great answer. And I'm hundred uh, percent in agreement with you. You've spoken to many food tech CEOs, um, at, both on, I imagine on, on your, on your podcast and in your practice, uh, like you said that you're doing most of the time, um, are there any that, that stand out to you that you sort of want to share?
1: Well, okay. This is going to sound so cliche, okay. but I, this was a really good story. I have okay. to say. I'm originally from Chicago although I am in Los Angeles today. I split my time between Chicago and Los Angeles. So Chicago used to be meat packing capital of the world. So because of its central location, right. trains would come in with live animals quick quick note I have to educate when I have the chance yeah, so it, this is it. one of the reasons that we we say and has been um, officially determined that animal agriculture is the leading cause of climate change because it's not just the burps and farts of the sheep and cows which are the the biggest offenders there but it's also that cost of shipping meat and live animals yes live animals are stuffed into boxcars and shipped everywhere, really heavy, right? Vegetables and grains, so much lighter. So you've got the transportation cost as well as the emissions and um, other things. So anyways, back in the day, post-World War II, they weren't thinking about that stuff, of course. And Chicago was the center where they would um, ship in, train in all these live animals, slaughter them, and then they would train them out, you know, or drive them out um, as butchered animals. So lots of transportation costs there. So Chicago's this hub, particularly for sausage. It, it came to be known for sausage. So when beyond meat launched the beyond meat sausage, which hands down is my favorite sausage, um, <laughs> they decided to launch in Chicago. So because I have this Chicago connection and I was doing a lot with WGN radio, Chicago, major historic radio station. I worked for them bringing a vegan radio show at the time. Anyway, um, I said, let me interview Ethan before the press gets it because of the Chicago connection. Please be on the Plant Based Business Hour. We'll be first with your sausages that you are launching. So Ethan said, I'll do you one better. I'll come over to your house, which is where I was recording from. This was pre-COVID, so we could all hang out together. We were doing the recording in person. He said, I'll do you one better. Not only will I come to your house for the recording, I'll make the sausage. So Ethan Brown shows up to my house, launches Beyond Meat Sausage in my kitchen. Only he would cook it because he wanted it done right. So I got all these pictures (laughs) of like Ethan, who's like 6'4", you know, at my kitchen stove, like frying up sausage and stuff. And then we eat it on the show. So I got to say I am partial to that interview. And I've interviewed Ethan a bunch. I interviewed him for NPR and other things. But that plant-based business hour in my kitchen, which kicked off the podcast, by the way. With the Italian wow. sausage is really my favorite.
0: Well, wow. yeah, that's a that's a hell of a story for sure. Yeah, I can't imagine. That, I mean, wow, uh, the, the work that he's put in for the community is is immense. It's immense, and it's yeah. it's so interesting to see how it. There's something about that that just captured the imagination of these rigid companies, these rigid fast food companies that wouldn't even, you know. Touch anything close to that But somehow they're like let's give it a try and then you know it's been a massive success
1: yes he's done so many smart things first of all he's a wickedly smart guy and so i highly encourage everyone to either go back to my interview with him or find you know find interviews with him he is a brilliantly smart guy comes from the engineering world and you know always says gosh if we put enough research dollars into plant based like we do into you know green energy and electric vehicles you know i mean just think what that could be right now it's shameful the u.s has put in about three and a half million dollars this is nothing um, for research into alternative proteins at university of california davis but you look at canada's like 100 million plus the eu's like 10 billion i think granted it's for all of the eu but um it, towards their green program singapore doing amazing work israel doing amazing work all of these places china putting money into alternative proteins research we're sitting on the sidelines i don't, I don't know what our problem is there obviously whoever controls the food supply yeah Has power, people. So if you're a government person and you're interested in power, which you are. Anyway, (laughs) that's a side note. But um, so Ethan is a very intelligent person. And I think he attracted businesses by his intelligence and savvy and by his innovation, you know, um, along with Impossible Foods. They were really the first brands to say, well, we're not doing this for like Kumbaya. We're doing this for taste we want to make this taste just like meat so that you get the kumbaya effects without any of the rest so we really um a, uh, approach this from like a tech standpoint people don't like to talk about tech in their food but of course tech's been your in your food forever you know the, yeah. the reason we have the prolific grains that we have etc is because they will you know they've been worked on um through sort of grain husbandry i'll say for lack of an expression to you know come up with the best most prolific, um, strains, et cetera. So, I mean, I don't want to get into areas where I'm not an expert, but you know, ameliorating food and the food processes has been around for hundreds of years. So I think people really responded to his business savvy and he approached it really from a smart business perspective and, um, has been working like crazy, you know, obviously because beyond Meat, it's, you know, they more don't have than a choice. 10 years old, I believe, so, they don't have a choice. Yeah. They've
0: got to keep working like crazy to keep it going. Uh, and the, Definitely. um, uh, yeah, the beyond nuggets actually just launched in Canada. So I had to, you know, try that the other day. It's, it's just magic. And you're right, there isn't it's a it's there isn't a compromise, you don't have to, again, like in the past, you might have to compromise on taste, in or, you know, uh, in order to have that, you know, benefit, the ethical benefit, and so on, but you don't have to do that anymore. Right?
1: Yeah, I- I have to quote the Good Food Institute here. If you're an average consumer, because not everyone has time to think about this. You know, think of the single mother with three kids. She doesn't have time to think about all this. So it's got to come down to taste, price, and convenience. And people aren't going to budge and change their behavior if it doesn't taste good, if they can't find it, and if they can't afford it. So it's got to come down to taste, price, and convenience. And Ethan is really doing that.
0: Yeah, Um, 100%. And uh, what I'm seeing as well, uh, we just pivot the conversation to restaurants quickly um, I'm seeing that plant-based restaurants are becoming the the beacons in communities for people with all dietary restrictions and I have to give the plant-based community a lot of credit because they're holding the flag up for everyone um, and that's when I started to s- uh, sort of started to see an opportunity as well because if people don't realize, Let's say you have a, a severe dairy allergy, or you have a severe egg allergy, or you have a severe shellfish allergy. What's the one restaurant you can go to and not worry about anything, right? It's a plant-based restaurant. So it has a lot of crossover that is very interesting. Um, the problem, actually, which is not a problem, but people have uh you know you could call them comorbidities if you will so someone might be vegan for like a health reason but then they also have an allergy to nuts or they have an allergy to sesame or they have you know they they need to have some sort of prescribed diet to maintain the health because a lot of people transition to plant-based because of health reasons and what we saw as an opportunity is hey you know, these plant-based restaurants are already waving the flag. Let's pioneer, you know, and, and, and push forward the agenda of uh, ingredient disclosure and create that optionality for all sorts of people. And then other restaurants start to follow because they see a ton of people, they see a lineup outside a plant-based restaurant and they're like, well, we want some of those customers. So we're going to, we're going to add some plant-based items to our, you know, regular, let's say Italian restaurant and, Let's also add some ingredient disclosure as well and become more accommodating. So it's a beautiful, if you sort of just imagine, you know, a a formation of, of, uh, of businesses, the vegan businesses are at the front of that formation and everyone else is following in their wake.
1: Yeah, it's so awesome because what you're talking about here is the empowered consumer. So COVID was really a tailwind for this as people had time to get back in the kitchen. But more than anything, they had time to Google about their own health. They became very wary, as they should, of any, you know, government. This is what's good for you. This is what's bad for you. I think everyone collectively said, like, governments don't know what they're doing and we're going to take our own health back into our own hands. And veganism became... An option or at least a frequent choice for people as they started to think about their own boosting their own immunity and you know keeping down their weight and avoiding you know heart disease, diabetes, colorectal cancer, staying in the best shape that they could, as strong as they could. So you're seeing people read labels like they never did before. Again, not just rely on, you know, my doctor saying this. Well, doctors actually get like four hours of nutrition education in medical school. It's actually not a doctor that you should be going to. You have to really go to a dietitian, someone who gets actual education in nutrition. So, you know, people aren't really listening to doctors or certainly not governments anymore. They're really focusing on those ingredients. What are they? And how do I, my personal health, no longer this one size fits all and you're just all supposed to get, you know, like again, the dietary guidelines for the US, we used to have a pyramid. Now we have a plate. And most people are like, I'm just not listening. Yeah. To you i'm doing what i need to do for my health yeah. and the restaurants that are transparent the products that are transparent those are the ones that are really doing well as people read those labels for the first time
0: yeah and look i've spoken to a, a ton of dietitians and the one thing they say which is you know contrary to the government food guidelines is er, er, you have to personalize everyone is an individual and you have to figure out which diet works for you with your given set of issues that you might have digestive or otherwise and so what does that mean? It, it means the consumer has to be empowered. As we're getting more educated, there needs to be options. It's 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 fundamental. And so I think this entire movement, you know, I don't really understand the pushback that it gets. And I think the pushback is starting to, uh, you know, be less and less. It's really just coming from the dinosaurs, frankly, at this point. Um, but, you know... It helps everyone is the point. So whether or not you want to be plant-based today, you're going to wait 50 years or you're going to wait, you know, your ch- next, your children or grandchildren, it doesn't matter. The movement is helping everyone. It's helping the entire world. And there really isn't a downside unless you're making, you know, a ton of money in factory farming right now and you're a big grumpy. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you are a very particular person. And we can talk about farmers in a second because this actually helps farmers as well. Doesn't help the big corporate conglomerate that has bought out a bunch of small farmers and their ethics isn't really where, where they're focusing their energies. But for the small farmer, shifting from trying to get a fair dollar price for the hard work of raising animals for then ultimately slaughter, they could do much better with mushrooms and other crops. So again, I'm not the expert here, but that optionality for them would be a relief as most of them are crippled with extreme debt. The life of a farmer, very hard. This would be, again, consumers like optionality. This would be opening up their options for other ways to make a a decent living as they should do respect and props out to all the farmers. But I wanna rip off of what you're saying, two things. So first of all, when you talk about, like, the vegan restaurants being like, hey, this works for everybody, I think of the, you know, because whatever dietary thing you need, you know, vegans going to pretty much do it for you. I remember the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, and if you don't know who they are, go to physicianscommitteeforresponsiblemedicine.org or .com, often referred to as PCRM. They were trying to work on something called the universal meal for airlines. So rather than do like you go to an airline, it's like, oh, is it halal? Is it kosher? Is it uh, you know no, no wheat, no gluten, no meat, yeah. no dairy, no no, no. is it, you know just do there are some foods like vegan that end up working for everybody and so they're really pushing for this kind of universal airline meal that has you know two or three choices you still have optionality but you don't have to go through the 10 like different religions and everything so um i i I love that concept and i think vegan restaurants are already doing that being this catch-all for so many individual needs and choices um but i also just want to make one more comment You're, you're talking about you know moving things forward like you don't really understand the pushback because with the exception of some grumpy folks otherwise this really works for everyone and i would say like if you can't get behind this at least a little bit to try it and make it you know part of your your smorgasbord of what you have every week you know we eat lots of stuff you know in a week you know if you don't at least work it into part of what you're doing you're only hurting yourself you're, I mean, you're only working against yourself. So I think that's why more and more consumers are not really slamming vegans anymore. They're just sort of saying like, yeah, I can do plant-based sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's also a, uh, a network effect too. Cause you start to have friends that when they go out they're ordering and then maybe you're trying what they have and you're like, well, that's not so bad actually.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent.
0: What, what are the next things that we can see in terms of, you know, uh, restaurants, for example, I mean, maybe this started with coffee shops, really, where we started to have the soy option instead of the milk option, right? Uh, and then it became almond milk, and then it became, you know, uh, other nut milks, and now you have oat milk. Oat milk is like the most popular, I think, uh, non-dairy alternative. And at restaurants, we're seeing, okay, the, the plant-based burgers, we see a ton, even like a random bar, right? You go to a bar, and it's like, oh, yeah. they have this plant-based burger there, Um What is the next thing? There's some restaurants have cheeses. There's this one beautiful Italian restaurant in Vancouver. They have a plant-based cheese on their pizza, which I helped them sort of pioneer. I'm like, guys, you're in a plant-based community. You're in a plant-based neighborhood. Add a plant-based cheese option. I guarantee you it's going to sell. They did it, and lo and behold, people are buying it. It tastes amazing. What is the next thing? We have meats. We have cheeses. We have alternative dairy options. What do you see as maybe the next thing coming out?
1: Seafood. I mean, first of all, we do have to nail cheese, right? So some plant-based cheeses are better than others. So we're going to see cheese really, um, and I think fermented proteins are going to play a big role here. Um, If you don't know what that is, we can can talk about it a little bit. But I do think we're going to see the amelioration of cheese, and then you're going to see the dawn of plant-based seafood. And that's going to take a bunch of of forms. So either the plant-based version or the cellular version, that's going to take a little bit longer, but um, basically I I used to think that cellular agriculture, so the growing of animal meat, just what we need, just the parts that we need. So not the waste of like the tail and the hooves and the blood and this stuff that maybe we weren't using before. But if you just are growing what you need, I used to think that that was the death of animal Mm -hmm. agriculture, And I no no longer see it that way. I see it as the natural progression of animal agriculture. So with everything, we strive to make it better as the industry grows. So if you think that we used to have, you know, landlines, and then we moved to cell phones that were, like, as heavy as a brick, and then we moved to, like, flip phones, and now we have a smartphone. We still talk on the phone, though. So a cell phone isn't the death of talking on the phone. It's just an amelioration of how we do that. And the reason we switch to smartphones is because it's more efficient for us. It serves us better. When's the last time you waited in line to develop your film at a Walgreens? probably a long time ago, because you've moved on to digital photos. It's not because you spit on your history and culture that things are changing and right. you don't want to recognize the pictures that your <laughs> grandmother took of you when you were a baby. Right. It's because it serves you better. So you know, as we move towards a system that just works better for us, uses less land, less water, less resources, less time, has less chemical runoff, uh, emits less greenhouse gases, doesn't have hormones, doesn't have antibiotics, better, no pandemics, um, and you know we haven't even talked about like what's it like to be a worker in a slaughterhouse. Could there yeah. be a worse job? Is there any surprise that alcoholism and post-traumatic stress syndrome? run rampant in those communities. So, you know, you don't have all this with cellular agriculture. So I just see it as like, duh, the next step to doing things better, just like the smartphone.
0: So how much, how much of a weight do you think there is for some, for the lab grown seafood before we see it Uh, on our plates?
1: So I think there are testings happening now with like five investors. (laughs) They're getting to taste test the first stuff. I think For the average person to see it on, you know, Singapore already has a restaurant or two and Israel has one restaurant. So you have these small quantities dabbling out there. I think you're looking at 10 years before people can order it on a menu.
0: Yeah, because right now you're seeing like, you know, your salmon lox vegan alternative is made out of carrots, right? It's like a carrot lox is what what we took. I
1: love her. So shout out to Aki. You're talking about Aki saved to see, right?
0: I'm. I I'm, no, I think there's a few brands, but, but sh- please feel free to shout oh. out. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Save to see. She's in Victoria Island. Am I getting that right? Uh Vancouver
0: Victoria Island. Vancouver. Sorry, Island. Vancouver, Vancouver Island, sorry. Vancouver is Island in there.
1: Victoria. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, Vancouver Island. Um, yeah. I, yeah. That's a great brand.
0: That's a great brand too. I mean, I
1: love that brand.
0: I'm happy for it. There's nothing wrong with that. I've had it before, and it tastes tastes amazing. Um, uh, but I guess the, you know there is a bit of a chasm there between where that is and lab grown locks, if you will. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So, um, I think it's going to be a while. I know Blue Nalu, which is a company that's made great strides in San Diego. Shiok Meats out of Singapore. Uh, you know, they're all starting to do their tastings, um, I'm, I'm holding Lou Cooperhouse, who's the CEO of Blue Nalo, to this. He said that I could be at the tasting in January. So I'm truly hoping to report back to you on uh-huh. Selfish as of, like, the winter. Hope, Hopefully he'll still let me squeak in. Yeah. Um, I, I think they're up and coming, but, you know, scaling it, it's going to take a while. Ten yeah, years, my friends. That's Ten years. The,
0: well, you know what? We've uh, We've waited a while anyways, and we've come a long way, so... Um, it's super exciting. And yeah. You're going to have
1: plant-based options in between now and then. Oh, of course. So yeah, you're going to have, yeah, plant-based options, which yeah. is
0: fun. I'm, I'm really excited about the direction that, that everything is headed. Um, I'm excited. You know, when I started my company a few years ago, it was about five years ago, actually. And, uh, you know, we had to go through our own ton of R and D process just to figure out how do we interface with all these people, the variety of dietary needs and all these restaurants you're not necessarily familiar with you know half of those <laughs> dietary needs that are necessary, and sort of bridging the gap between the two, it's so cool to see um, the evolution because when I first started pitching, restaurants are like, nah. You know, any number of excuses, a lot of them negative. like, we don't want that. We don't want to deal with that. We want to now it's like, how can we add more options? How can we innovate? How can we attract more people to give them these modifications and these options that they're looking for? So the sentiment is shifting and it's just super exciting um, for everyone
1: you know, I have two comments there. So power to the people. It used to be the industry told you what to eat and you better shut up and like it. And that is just not the case anymore. So power to the people. Thank you everybody for advocating for yourselves. Don't be waiting on government to help you out there. Advocate for yourselves and we will see these changes in the marketplace. You align your purchasing power with your values or your health goals for yourself you're going to see big changes. So I just love it. Power to the people. And then I'll say, if I can help you in any way, I'm just thrilled that you're doing the work that you do. Thank you for doing it. If you just use me as a resource, I'm around. So if I can help (laughs) you in any way, get restaurants, more options, I'm happy to do it or come down to LA and help me over here, get more restaurants and Chicago. So we would make quite a team. I might,
0: I I might take you up. I might take you up on that. And cause you know what, I have to admit I've never been to California um, I know, Get I, know, down here. I know, I know, I know I got to come and check it out. You know what the issue is. I always tell people, I feel like if I go there, I'm not going to come back. Like I'm going to go to California. <laughs> I'm going to fall in love with it. Um, cause it's like, uh, <laughs> it's like I'm in BC, so we're on the West coast, but I love the heat. Like if I go down there, I'm just going to fall in love with the heat and the sun and, and the beaches. So, uh, it's very, very dangerous to come, but definitely we should do that. Um, if people want to find out more about you, Elizabeth, they should just go to your website.
1: You can go to my website, that's great, elizabethalfano.com, kind of spelled funny, E-L-Y-S-A-B-E-T-H-A-L-F-A-N-O, but probably for fastest response, hit me up on LinkedIn. So just connect with me, I'll accept your connection or what have you, you know, send me a direct message, That's that just works really well, so LinkedIn, super easy.
0: Awesome. Yeah, there's a ton of uh, food brands out here in the in, in Vancouver that are working. I mean, yes. you know, we know Daya came out of Vancouver. Um, Daya right. Foods, Smart Sweets, which is the candy company, uh, plant-based yep. candy. We, we have a lot of... Um, home runs from the city. So if if anyone's listening to this, definitely connect with, uh, with Elizabeth, she may be able to give you some wisdom and I look forward to future conversations with you. I was really happy with this one today. It was amazing. And I look forward to, you know, hopefully picking your brain for some wisdom, you know, for my company and, and things that we're working on, um, and see how we can collaborate in the future. But Elizabeth, it was a pleasure having you on. Is there any last thing that you want to let the world know?
1: I'd just be over the moon to collaborate. So yeah, if I can be of help in any way, I'm looking forward to that.
0: You got to check out Elizabeth Alfano's show called the Plant-Based Business Hour. She speaks with venture capitalists, CEOs, inventors, analysts, entrepreneurs, startups, and leaders in the industry that are making an impact and launching new initiatives. If you want to keep your finger on the pulse of a dynamic, amazing industry, definitely check out the Plant-Based Business Hour by Elizabeth Alfano. And you can check it out on the Elizabeth Alfano LinkedIn page. So to check everything out, go to elizabethalfano.com.
1: I'll just say, you know, hit me up on LinkedIn, everybody. We can take it from there. And maybe I'll just words of wisdom or a bit of inspiration for the plant-based brands out there that are making such a difference. To all those founders and entrepreneurs, I'll say my very favorite phrase, nose to the grindstone, eyes to the sky. Keep at it. (laughs)
0: Nose to the grindstone, eyes to the sky, and power to the people. Thank you, Elizabeth.
1: Thank you.